Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, life purpose coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Judge Kenneth Stoner, who oversees Oklahoma County's drug and DUI courts with an innovative approach to individuals suffering from addiction and mental health issues. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with District Judge Kenneth Stoner, who oversees Oklahoma County's treatment courts. He was appointed to the position of district judge by the governor in January of 2018. Judge Stoner began his legal career in 2001 in the Oklahoma County District Attorney's Office, serving as a felony prosecutor. He later went into private practice, focusing on corporate, entertainment, and criminal law. Prior to being appointed to the bench, he concentrated on representation of clients suffering from addiction and mental health issues. Judge Stoner has earned distinction for his innovative approach to handling such cases. He is also a member of the Oklahoma Behavioral Health Association, Addiction and Mental Health Professionals of Oklahoma, and Lawyers Against Domestic Abuse. Judge Stoner is a sixth-generation Oklahoma and a member of the Cherokee Nation. He and his wife, Barbara, have three sons, Max, Will, and Sam, who are not particularly impressed with any of his accomplishments. <laughs> his wife is also an attorney, serving as a law clerk to U.S. District Judge Bernard Jones. Judge Stoner, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's really great to have you on the show. And, and I should say that we're here. I'm here on site at the, at the courthouse with you in your office, and uh, it's, it's fabulous in here. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, we're back in chambers on the fifth floor of the Oklahoma County Courthouse. I just had a, a remerge docket this morning and uh, just finished uh, doing an orientation and taking a few pleas just moments ago, and then we come back here and have a, a conversation. So, uh, And thank you for doing this podcast, too. I really appreciate uh, getting the message out, um, you know, just around helping people understand that, uh, man, change isn't just possible, it's probable and predictable, and your past does not have to equal your future. I mean, there's many, many examples of that. Absolutely. Well, it's my pleasure, and I love what I do, and I know you love what you do. Uh, we yeah. sat here for several minutes before the mics went on and just had a great conversation. And uh, I'm, I know yeah. that this one's going to be another great one. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question, and you've chosen yours. So I'll send that your way, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us. Okay. All right. So, Judge Stoner, what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? Uh, well, okay. The, the answer to that question probably began about five years ago. Well, a little bit more than that now. Um, so I, I was a lawyer in private practice, and I used to represent people in had criminal problems, and uh, it was almost always underlying some kind of substance use, abuse, or addiction. And I just noticed there was a, just an enormous gap between what it is that, we'll say, science knows about addiction um, and uh, also behavior change, and between that and what we actually do in the criminal justice system. And so the legal system, uh, you know, it's all what we do at the, at the courthouse is our law system is based on English common law that is, and it's very traditional, it's very slow to change, uh, but there's just been so many innovations and so many discoveries about 
behavior science and brain science and understanding addiction uh, just in the last decade. And there's just a giant gap between what we know and really what is actually put into practice uh, in our in our legal system. And I just felt um, you know, a calling. Uh, some say it's that, and some say it's just a sense of service to realize that you know, we we really need. Uh, transformational leadership inside of our criminal justice system to, um, you know, to do, do what, what, we, what we should be doing and follow an evidence-based practice and really understand what innovation is and, and look at what's happening uh, in the world of science and, the, and uh, therapy and behavior change. And we need to be more aggressive about implementing those proven tactics into our um, uh, you know, into our legal system and, and watching when innovations are coming out and how quickly can we adopt those, how f quickly can we integrate those because, um, and that's what gets me uh, excited every day. And I, uh, I'm kind of a very curious, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by ideas. Um, you know, I know that not, um, you know, not, that not everything that, um, let's see, what was the best way to say it? Uh, you can't have progress without change. I mean, not every change. Here's what: not every change is progress. Mm -hmm. But you yeah. can't have you can't have progress without change. Right. So we've got to always. There's we live in this dynamic tension of realizing that we have to be changing things. Not everything that changes is really progress. But we've got to be looking at, um, you know, how how it is that we uh, serve our community, make our community safer. You can hold people accountable for, you know, if they have offenses, we can hold people accountable in a, a way that's much more efficient. That, And what I mean by efficient, man, it just works better. It's less expensive. Um, we have a better outcome, better long-term outcome. And when you realize that the people that are caught up in our criminal justice system, they're members of our community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, when you really start understanding about addiction, how it starts and how it really captures um the um, you know people say well they don't really have a choice and, and I I I think there's a paradox there which you really have to learn to choose to get out of it but most people don't really choose to get into addiction they would stop if they really knew how to stop they don't know how to stop and so you have to take someone through a process of teaching them to use those tools and develop those tools strengthen the tools to to stop and so um, I. I'm of the opinion that the people, the vast majority of people that get wrapped up addiction didn't choose to be there uh, in the way that we think about choice. They don't sit around and contemplate, should I or shouldn't I? Yes, I think I'm going to destroy my life with drugs or alcohol and, <laughs> right. and wear handcuffs. And uh, it's not something somebody chooses in the way that we typically think about choices. Um, you know, once someone can get a foothold on recovery, they can learn to make better choices. But it's a you know, recovery, as I call it, recovery is a team sport. Mm -hmm. It takes... Uh, uh, you know, it takes a lot of support and encouragement and also accountability to, to help make those changes. Um, and um, I, I've been inspired by people like, um, like Trish Everest and like Chris Steele, um, people that are out there uh, in the public talking about, hey, there's different ways that we could and should be handling addiction, handling um, uh you know, working with people in the criminal justice system. And so I started my career as a prosecutor. I spent six years working as an assistant DA handling cases. And so I know, I um, mean, I had handled 
rapes, robberies, murders, and I can tell you there are a lot of people that actually really, our community is safer because we do have prison. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people that don't need to be in prison. Matter of fact, prison actually makes them a little worse. Um, and so the, the, the trick is trying to figure out, you know, who really needs to go to prison. It's, it should be people that we're scared of, not people that we're mad at. And uh, for a long time, we've been really frustrated with people because addiction is a crippling, it's a crippling disease. And it's, it's marked by people, you know, having a lot of behavior that ends up being criminal in nature. Um, and they don't do what they're told to do. That's part of the addiction. Um, and uh, whenever they don't do what they're supposed to do, we want to put them in jail because we don't really understand what's a better way to do it. And so um, I would like Oklahoma to become, instead of being known for its high incarceration rates, I would like Oklahoma to become known for its skill of our diversion courts and our skill of our diversion professionals and become known as a community that takes care of its citizens in a way that makes our community safer, um, also healthier, um, and, uh, and it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it doesn't, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you know, conservative or liberal, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more efficient ways of even saving money too. <laughs> you know, we ought, we ought to look at, man, what is it, what are we, you know, when we look at prison, what does it cost and what do you get for that? You know, and so 93% uh, of people that go to prison come back and live with us in our community. And so you've got to stop and ask, who do you want as your neighbor? Uh, these are your neighbors, you know? And so they, they've been to prison, they're coming back and living with you, they're gonna be your neighbor, you're gonna run into them. Um, and uh, for, you know, most people don't argue with me when I say, well, you tend to become like the five people you spend the most time with. I mean, Charles, you and I, we don't really know each other very well, mm -hmm. we just met. But if you could show me the five people that you spend the most time with, I would know a lot about who you are. Yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely true. So, I mean, so just imagine you just went and spent two or three years in prison. It, it, you, that's who you're becoming a little bit more like the people you were in prison with, a little bit more antisocial than you went in. Mm -hmm. Prison tends to be a graduate school for criminality. You come out, it's a little bit worse. Yes. Um, most people would not argue with the proposition that, let's just say, if you're diabetic before you go to prison, you'll be a diabetic when you get out, right? Yeah. Um, if you're schizophrenic before you go to prison, you'll be schizophrenic when you get out. Yeah, stands if, you're, if you're an addict before you go to prison, you'll be an addict when you get out. Most people go out, they come back to the same environment that they left, and they actually spent just a couple years or more with you know people that are a little bit more antisocial. It means they're not interested in following the rules as much, and um, they actually kind of have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder uh, because the people in the system maybe didn't treat them particularly well. Um, and so that is one thing we believe in our court. You know, everybody is treated with dignity and respect, um, regardless of what you've been accused of, regardless of what your past is. We want to treat you like really who you're capable of becoming, rather than maybe what your past has been. So anyway, that's what that's, that's what kind of energized me to get me up in the morning to maybe uh, hopefully change. Uh, make some a positive impact in our criminal justice system, make sure that everybody that we have here um, is treated with dignity and respect, and they, they leave better than they came in. Um, one analogy that I like to use, that if you were to imagine, right now, they're, they're in the, let me back up a little bit, but 
there's a lot of evidence that addiction is a disease. And uh, there's actually a little, the people say that, the, the really educated people say that, they say that it's not a disease, they'll say it's a disorder. And so there's, a, there's an argument if it's a disorder or a disease. So that, but both of them agree there's really no choice, okay? Uh, so whether you want to call it a disease or disorder, uh, just imagine that's, you know, let's say you have a disease like cancer and uh, you were to go to a place that uh, treats cancer, like, so you go up to Integris Hospital, and um, if you were to find that at Integris Hospital uh, that treats your cancer, that the professionals that you're dealing with there, um, they weren't really highly trained in treating cancer, they don't really follow the best practices of treating cancer. Oh, they do, they, they do pretty good, but you know, um, you know, or you can go up the road to a different hospital and they stay on the cutting edge and they're, they'll give you the, the latest treatment, the, you know, the latest therapies and the whole team and staff is dedicated to uh, treating that cancer. Um, you know, if, if, if that first hospital you went to wasn't, wasn't treating you in a way that was, it would say is, you know, currently a, a best practice or currently a, um, the, the standard of care, um, we call that in legal profession malpractice. That's, a, that's medical malpractice, you know, if they're not giving you the standard of care. And unfortunately, I think in, in, the, in our legal system for a long time, uh, we've just been behind the curve, you know, and if what was going on, I think, at, at our, it's, it's, you know, some of the things that happened in our legal system, that if, um, if you were, this is where the disease of addiction in some ways gets treated. We handle the disease in our courtrooms. And uh, I think we owe it to our community as, a, as one of the institutions that our community should trust that, you know, we're going to give you the standard of care when you come here. Yeah, but that's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of what you've just shared. From uh, You're clearly passionate about what you do and uh, have been doing this for a while. This being working with those folks um, that have substance use disorder, suffering from addiction, and have legal issues at the same time, and mental health concerns, so the dual diagnosis. And um, one of the, the questions I wanted to ask you, Judge Stoner, was that some of our listeners, many are probably going to understand where you're coming from when you're talking about addiction and the terms that you're using, yeah. but some may not, and so it may be an educational opportunity here for a couple minutes. And, what are some of the misconceptions that you find on a pretty regular basis that you encounter with, uh, in terms of addiction, what, what it is, what folks think about it, and such as, for example, yeah. if you just put it down, then your life would be fine. If you just stop using, then everything would be okay, Yeah. Or et cetera. So yeah. what are some of those misconceptions that come well, up on a regular basis? So I, mean, I would say in some ways that's true. If they would just put it down, they'd be okay. But if, if it was just that easy, they would. Right. Um, the, the definition of addiction is part of it is continued use despite harm. Yeah. So, um, even though it is harmful to the person, they do continue to use it. And, and, and you would stand back and if you're observing it, you, most people say, well, no one in their right mind would continue to use something that was harmful to them. No one in their right mind would do that. Well, so there must be, they're not in their right mind. And so um, it's just not as simple as uh, people would say, well, you know, if you're in the criminal justice system, you, you're told to stop, therefore you should just stop. Well, great, yeah, they should, they just can't. If they could, they would have, they wouldn't be in the situation. If you, you know, uh, Brian Stevenson had written a book uh, called Just Mercy. He's a lawyer and he kind of talks, about uh, kind of the struggles in our criminal justice system, but he says that if you want to solve a problem, 
you have to get close to it. And so I, uh, in an effort to really understand what was going on, I, you know, I represented people that were struggling with heroin or alcohol or methamphetamine. And um, I do know that there are parts of that experience that does something for them. Uh, but at the end of the day, they would trade it, they would happily trade it for you know, a normal life. And so you start thinking about, let's just take alcohol for example. Um, some people might say, well, the alcohol is a problem. And I would say, well, maybe. What if alcohol is a solution? What if alcohol, what if you looked at it differently and think, well, what if alcohol is not the problem? But what if alcohol solves a problem for that person? This is the solution to a problem that they have. And so if you understand the underlying issue, what is it, what is it that this opiate does for them? What is it the alcohol does for them? Um, and I do th tend to think that we put too much emphasis on the chemical hooks in the compound. People talk about, well, it's, 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 a, it's a chemical hook. I was like, well, yeah, maybe there, that's something to do with it. Uh, but look at gambling, for example. I mean, gambling, where's the, where's the chemical hook? There's, you know, and they'll tell you they're just as big of, we'll say, you know, addicts as someone who's wrapped up in uh, heroin. Uh, and, you know, and they, they also steal and they also, you know, rationalize uh, frequently. So a lot of times in Oklahoma, you look at people that are charged with embezzlement and um, they've wiped out their life savings. They're, they're addicted. Where's the chemical hook? And so it's really when you look at what, it, what is it that the gambling is doing for them? What does the substance do with them? And if you look at it through that lens of this is the, a solution to a problem they have and then really get into the underlying solution and then... We also had a, a conversation right before this just touched on the idea that um, addiction really is a systems issue. A systems issue means it's not just, okay, just quit using and you'll be fine. And, and uh, one analogy I like to use to think about it is imagine being stuck on I-40 in a traffic jam. You got five lanes of traffic and none of it's moving. Okay, you can't go right, you can't go left, and really about as far as you can see, it's just you're stuck in traffic. Addiction represents the first the, the two cars that are stuck in front of you. And so if you could just get that addiction out of the way, those first two cars, you'd be fine, right? Well, yes and no, you're still stuck. You can't get those two cars in front of you to move until the cars in front of them move. And that car can't move until the cars in front of them move. And so those, each car in here represents a facet of somebody's life, maybe healthy relationships, maybe it's safe, stable, sober housing, maybe it is access to meaningful employment, maybe it's just having a sense of meaning and purpose in their life, maybe it's just having access to treatment, maybe it's a support and accountability, maybe it's all of the above. And so having uh, stable relationships, if you're around pro-social people, and so every car that is stuck in that traffic jam has to start kind of moving and the ones in front of that has to start moving like you've got to have you know a spark of motivation um, a lot of times in my courtroom it's usually you know a set of handcuffs or criminal charges that get someone thinking okay i've really got to make a change and so you know we start with you know you got to change who you're hanging out with you got to change the people you hang out with you got to have safe stable sober housing i've never ever met anybody got stable living with somebody that's still in addiction Just, <laughs> no, it doesn't work <laughs> right and so it's like uh and so if you think about it as a systems issue, like how do you get the, the traffic flowing? You know, how do you get out and really figure out, you know, where do we start? It's usually not just quit. I mean, that'd be nice if they could, but, you know, it's, it's more like a, one, one analogy I like to think about. Like people are like, 
Rubik's cubes, you know. Just, they're all scrambled up, and they're all kind of gotten a little slightly different way. Now, there's a method to start kind of lining up the sides, mm-hmm. and kind of a method to start getting things in order. And, um, and that's what we do in our treatment courts is start figuring out, okay, how do we, you know, what are the issues we want to start with? Is it, you know, um, the, the, the housing or the, who you're hanging out with, cognitive behavioral therapy? Maybe it's medication. It might be, I guess, underlying, you know, uh, medical issues. You see a huge transformation in people when they get meaningful employment. You know, yeah. But in order to get meaningful employment, sometimes you got to get a little bit of job training. And mm-hmm. before you get meaningful employment, you also have to get transportation so you can show up on time. And it's a combination of things. And so, um, you know, mood. So it, you know, mood regulation, for example. You know, um, drugs, alcohol are mood altering substances. So yes, they people are. that mm-hmm. are not comfortable with the mood that they're in, they mm-hmm. want to change their mood. And so when you move the, you move the substance because it helps you manage your moods. Uh, you know, sometimes when you remove the substance, you've got to figure out, okay, how do I do emotional regulation? I used to use a substance to manage my emotions. Uh, and if I have difficult emotions, which that's part of life is having difficult emotions. You know, how do you, how do you help somebody with that? And so what we do in our treatment court is, is, is we get people that are stuck in traffic and we have an entire team, probation officers, both the lawyers, the DAs, the public defenders, the therapists. We all kind of work as a team for problem solving. Uh, to kind of help get the traffic going. And um, anyway, so that kind of answer your question, maybe a couple of things about addiction that people don't always understand. Absolutely it does, you know, for me. And I think that's so incredibly insightful and a wonderful analogy um, that I can relate to. As a person myself, some of our listeners may not know, uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery from it may be called alcohol use disorder. Or yeah, I'd still okay. call it alcoholism. How, so, what, how, many so, how long have you been sober now? So this is uh, this is 16 years. Is that right? I think I have that number right. All right. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is 15. I'm going on my 16, so I should have the number right. All right. Well, hang on a second. So yep. whenever you think back yeah. to your journey, mm-hmm. what did you change that helped you the most? Well, you know what? Um, if I would have had that traffic analogy, yeah. I, I probably would have stopped yelling at people to get out of my way. You know? so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in other words, metaphorically, I, I would have I would have looked ahead a little bit earlier and uh, and and taken some of those those warning signs that there was a there was a disruption in my traffic pattern. But what ultimately worked for me in my own um, recovery process, there were certainly some negative consequences, some legal. Yeah. I did spend a night in jail. Yeah. Uh, in a you city got, you, jail. You over here in the Hotel Chartel? No, this was in Stillwater, so okay. I'll be transparent. I was okay. in Stillwater. Right. Payne County? Yeah, yes. The city yeah. of Stillwater, okay. Yeah, so I was there for a night, and well-deserved. I look back yeah. on that behavior, and well-deserved. Needed to be yeah. in jail that night. Um, intoxicated, disorderly, threatening, uh, you know, and so that was some of my behavior that yeah. I'm telling you, face-to-face right now, that's not who I wanted to be. Yeah. So, so much of, of what, uh, and not to chase this down a rabbit trail too far, but um, that I wanted to be, I couldn't be with addiction. And I would, have, I would have changed it in an instant if I knew how. Yeah. So I really resonate with the way that you're speaking about addiction and the way it affects folks. Because certainly if I could have just put this uh, alcohol down and then done the thing that I needed to do, then I would have. Yeah. And that's really the nature of addiction. That's how it works. So what, what finally worked for me is that my wife left. Oh. That's, that's one of the last straws. But there were several other things that were helpful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was unpredictable. I, I had a red out, blackout. You know, I was throwing yeah. things around, hitting things, and I don't remember most of it. 
And she left with our two young daughters and sought a, a YWCA shelter. Oh, wow. And left. Yeah. And uh, That's and a wake-up call. That was a wake-up call. Yeah. And uh, I had, uh, you know, candidly, I'd had a suicide attempt uh, years before, so yeah. I had a, quite a rough path, you know. And well, so you, what you're saying, yeah. you can think about, you know, you were kind of in a difficult spot, yeah. handling difficult emotions, and there was something going on there, and alcohol helped you in some way. Correct. Back to that point, it absolutely did, until it actually exacerbated the problem. It magnified the yeah. problem. No, it has some horrible side effects as well. But, right, know, so I just couldn't so. stop. So I'd reached yeah. that, that last phase of addiction, which is you just keep doing it and you get negative consequences almost every time. So it's, it's yeah. really, it's prison, death, destruction. You know, that, that was right around the corner for me and that's what I saw. So when my wife left and, and had the courage, the bravery, bravery, and that sanity to do that, she gives me per permission to tell this part of her story. Yeah. That's what she needed to do for self-preservation. Some people say, what a loving thing to do. Well, it was, but it was also an instinct. She needed to, to be safe and be safe with our girls. And so I commend her whenever I get the chance. From yeah. there, I went to a 28-day treatment center, Valley Hope Cushing, for the second time. Okay. And then what was different, Judge Stoner, for me this time that, that's helped it stick is I went from there and I was not welcome back home. Yeah. My wife had set boundaries and she did not want me back home and it was very hard for her to do that. She's a very caring person. Yeah. And so I had the option to go somewhere else or a sober living house not too far away. And I chose sober living. Excellent. And went there and was there for five or six months. Yeah. And okay. that's finally what did it. I lost my career job while I was there. I was way okay. overweight, smoking two packs of cigarettes and a bunch of my other story. Right. But to answer your question, I then started to find ways to regulate emotion through the 12 steps, through some great yeah. therapy, through the folks I was living with that wanted to stay sober and clean and sober or, you know, in recovery or abstinence yeah. from, from those substances. And that's where I learned how to regulate and be... Uh, more of the person that, that I am today. That's where it all started. When you were smart enough to get help, you were smart enough to go, man, right. I, wanna, I need a treatment. I can't do this on my own. And right. Then, and then when you, when you were smart enough to get there and listen, because <laughs> people will say, well, Amen. hey, this is what you ought to do. And they go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, no, you need, it's what you need to do. Yeah, or just play yeah. along. You know, oh, okay, yeah. uh-huh. And then, you know, part of you is not accepting. So right. acceptance was a big piece. A big part of it, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I tell people every day, you know, every, every second you spend wishing things were different is wasted energy. You know, uh, man, just this is your situation, and just let's, let's just accept it where it is, and let's, let's look, let's go forward. You know, you know, how do you how do you go? I was just I was just mountain biking over the weekend uh, in New Mexico, and I picked a, a very difficult trail to go mountain biking on. It's kind of my hobby uh, around physical. You know, we talked about exercise a minute ago. Yeah, and I got stuck on a very difficult trail. It's called a South Boundary Trail. It's really the number one trail in New Mexico for mountain biking, and I got up there, and I was like. I mean, halfway through it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? And I, I was overwhelmed. I was like, I, I don't know if I, it's 22 miles long and I'm, you know, 20 miles from the city and I'm way up there and I'm like, okay. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm here. I got to get down. And when I look at the whole thing, it was overwhelming, but I was looking at it like, okay, wait a minute. I can go here and I can get this three feet here and I can go this other four feet this way and I could go this other. And I started seeing these little paths the way down and it just kind of broke it down into small chunks. And it reminded me of recovery in a way that, okay, just quit freaking out about this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Quit catastrophizing it. You're not stuck. You can get through this. It's just one bit at a time. 
just one bit at a time, slow down. At the, in, in recovery, I know they say one day at a time, but in reality, that, that's all there ever is. All you have to do is today. Mm-hmm. Um, all you got to do is the next little piece and just do that next little piece and just do the next right thing. And next thing you know, bit by bit, you know, I'm down off the mountain. I didn't die. And matter of fact, I was just fine. Yeah, because you're here, right? So, well, I'm here. Yeah, but it was at the time that. I was, yeah. I, I, I got to thinking about, you know, whenever people come into a treatment court, the idea of getting sober, it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. It's like you think about your whole life in front of you. I can't do it my whole life right now. I can't imagine living without my substance. Um, you know, it's a very significant relationship. Uh, but, you know, when you break it down, it's like all you, all you got to do is just get this next little piece. Just the next little piece is all you got to do. And that's all there ever is. It's just today. Yeah. You know, and that kind of comes back. You and I mentioned, I noticed you have a mindfulness practice. I do, um, yes. And I've been practicing mindfulness for about um, about a decade, um, uh, I'd say very seriously, for the last six years. Um, the uh, I mean, I never, I never miss a day of my meditation. It's the most important thing uh, right there with sleep and eating and showering. You know, I, I meditate, uh, have a meditation practice, which is just staying present, practice. It's a practice staying present in the moment, paying attention without judgment. Mm-hmm. And um, I always like to encourage people, um, you know, you see, in some ways I don't like all the pop culture around meditation because it seems like it's some kind of little, uh, you know, here's a little life hack fad thing. Yeah. And in fact, it's, you know, it's been around for thousands of years. And, and the, you know, the more you, 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 you get into it, you realize how powerful it is. It almost becomes like a, a superpower to help you not always get jerked around by your emotions or difficult feelings and things and get to know yourself a little better. But another thing to help you realize, hey, it's just today. That's all you have is just today anyway. And matter of fact, it's not just today. It's just now is all you have. Yes. So This moment. This is where human beings actually live, it turns out. You know, that's what I discovered. If, if, if I've discovered anything through meditation, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> that this this is actually where we live. And the rest is abstraction, you know, we meaning... It's stories we tell ourselves. It's stories, yeah. There are things yeah. that we think about in the future because we can imagine. We can conceptualize the future and we can remember the past, which is a wonderful, wonderful gift, a set of gifts that we have. But they can be the troubling also, you know. So well, when, we, when we get out of the moment, we're not actually living where we're at. Yeah, so. I mean, if, if your whole life has been struggles and difficulty and pain yeah. and suffering, yep. it's when you're thinking about the future, that's what you project in the future as yes, well. Absolutely. Um, and so, but when you realize you break it down to the present moment, um, it's okay. But so yeah. I was, I use the word meditation, and I don't really like the word because people think they know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might, but generally, I th- like to think about it as uh, non uh, non emotional reactivity training. <laughs> yeah, that works. Like just training to be non emotionally reactive, and, and to realize that when your brain's telling you a story, either about the future or the past, and just stay present. And, mm-hmm. and uh, if you have a difficult emotion, recognize that's just what it is, and you don't have to go along with it. But yeah. Um, Anyway, I don't know how much more you. I know this has been meaningful to you. It's been meaningful for me. It's something we had in common, but. Absolutely. Well, it is to me too. And, and we can certainly continue to unpack because that, that's a fascinating topic. One of the other things that branches off where, where um, you've been recently in our conversation is the idea of maybe the, the five areas of, of life that are important to you. We were talking off microphone before that, and I thought, you know, if there's something that, that folks can, can tune into that may be struggling with any part of 
addiction or just, you know, they're in a transition in life and it's hard and they're stuck. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there, there's kind of a, an idea that you have about sort of a foundation that really helps get you aligned to put you in a position for, for better yeah. success. Yeah, so this kind of goes back to my, um, I have some personal experience in this and also whenever I was working with clients, whenever I had clients that were usually facing serious criminal charges, going to prison unless they made transformation. Yeah. And there is so much information out there, as, you know, books and tapes and podcasts and all this stuff. And everybody's got an idea of you should do this and you should do that. And it's almost overwhelming the amount of, of options you have available to try to, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. And, and it's like, where do you really focus your energy to get the, the bis- biggest return on investment? Where do you really, where do you start? Where do you start? And what can you really focus on? What can you control on a daily basis to really, really springboard real transformation? Um, and I, I, I used to wrestle with this. Like, what is the, you know, what is the, you know, the, the holy grail of recovery? Where do you start? What do you do? And everybody's got a little bit different opinion about it. I do have a lot of admiration for the 12 steps. I think that's quite a part of that. But even... I would say even before you can get into the 12 steps or part of those steps in there, um, there are these thousands of life hacks you can do, but nothing helps you more than every night getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, this is well getting good night's sleep. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, the, the fundamental scaffolding, and I, this is really, I mean, I always, in some ways, I hate to say it because it's also what you people will tell you. Well, here's what you need to do: is you need to get a good night's sleep. You need to watch your nutrition. I'm just unfortunately, man, and believe me, I like chocolate chip cookies as much as everybody else, and all that stuff. Oh yeah. But you know, if, if you're if you don't have a decent diet um, and your nutrition's out of whack, you're if you're eating a lot of you know sugar and stuff, your blood sugars go up and down, and you're not going to think clearly. You're going to have brain fog. Uh, it interrupts your sleep if you're not eating correctly. So you need to kind of work on your nutrition. Uh, you need to get some kind of exercise. You need to have physical advert, uh, you know, uh, exertion. And when I say exercise, I don't mean you have to go to the gym. You just get out and move. You know, get out and do something you enjoy. Have something like I like riding bicycles. I like longboarding. Um, you know, I have some teenagers I like to to play with. We have a trampoline. You got to go for walks. Walk your dog. Just get out and move. You know, get out and move. And if, and to the extent that you can make that social, it's uh, really important. Like I, I have a certain exercise group that I meet with every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. I've done it for seven years. It's our little, it's called Fitness 360, and, and uh, I have all my friends there, and we all get together three times a week, and it becomes as much fun as is a workout, but we hold each other accountable to be there. And then developing a mindfulness practice. So the four things I think are the scaffolding of success. Yeah. Uh, if you're gonna <laughs> help you more than things, get a good night's sleep, watch your nutrition, uh, get some exercise, start a mindfulness practice. Just get start understanding what's going on in that six inches between your ears and start practicing and don't get caught up in my doing it right or not. Just just set and start watching. There's so much information out there. There's great. Uh, I love uh, the 10% Happier app. I love uh, the Waking Up app. I love the, there's one out there called Calm that people really like. I've done Headspace. Uh, there's tons of free stuff out there. There's 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 so much information out there um, of people. If you want to learn how to do a meditation practice, a mindfulness practice, there's there's so many resources out there for that. But it's practice, and it's practice it's like going to the gym. Like uh, one analogy, I like to use, like if you, you know, let's say, if you want to. 
Uh, I mean, if, if you want to get in better physical shape, you'd go to the gym. And if you would go to the gym, you'd say, well, that was, if you went a couple times, you'd go, well, that was really uncomfortable. I sweated and uh, it was uncomfortable and it hurt and I don't really feel great when I'm done. I mean, I feel better, but you know, and, and a week later, I, I can't tell I've really changed. Well, that's not how physical transformation works. It just, you got to get in the habit of going and you got to do it. And matter of fact, sometimes it takes weeks and months, but, mm -hmm. um, I mean, the universe is full of examples of celebrities that have had dramatic physical transformations, and we see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And yet, we have we can have mental transformations that are absolutely available to us. It just takes time, effort, and practice. And um, you can you can develop these skills uh, over time with just kind of getting into practice and uh, learning and growing. And just every day, just kind of do your meditation practice and. Uh, that's why they call it a practice. And, uh, and I think those, so that would be the fourth thing. And the fifth thing, uh, I think having healthy relationships, you know, is if you, you've got to have people around you that are positive people that are supportive, encouraging, um, fellowship, love, friendship, connection, things like that. Um, and you know, if you, if you've got those things, you've really got a good scaffolding, a good foundation for success and then and then from there if you want to get into life hacks and all these other little uh, things that you might want to do that make you a little you know two percent three percent five percent better those are all fine but until you get your you know sleep nutrition exercise mindfulness and good relationships that's your that's your core um, that is your core of where you should spend the majority of your energy uh, focusing on refining those things uh, develop a sense of well-being yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, what, a topic that I speak to folks on a lot is self-care. And folks have different understandings and, and definitions of that, but essentially it's, you know, related to what you're talking about and this idea of, of there's different aspects of ourselves, of our lives that are, that are important to uh, healthy living, to well-being, to fulfillment, to purpose, and to a sense of uh, accomplishment or success. And, you know, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, and the social are the ones that I typically talk about. Uh, and, uh, you know, just as of the time of this interview, uh, last night I spoke to a Parents Helping Parents group, an yeah. organization here in Oklahoma, to the Norman chapters. So these are yeah. parents that may have a loved one, a son or daughter typically, that's uh, in active addiction, or they may also be in recovery from addiction yeah. and substance use disorder. So I spoke to them on self-care. And uh, it, was, it was really an opportunity for them to look at themselves and how they're taking care of themselves. And so here, if there are any parents listening in, <laughs> hey, here's Judge Stoner giving you some more ideas, saying pretty yeah. much the same thing, which is, hey, here's a well, scaffolding you can build to take care of yourself because you're, you're worthy of it. You need to do it. It's good for your whole family, and it's also good for you. Yeah. I, by the way, I love Parents Helping Parents, incredible organization. Yeah, and yeah they big, are. Big fan of all the, all the folks that, you know, around the city that are that are in that, but and yes, and I you know I hate to be this broken record like well it's just and th there's other things you can do. I'm not saying you can't do other things, but you know you kind of gotta uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's it. That's <laughs> and, it. And um, and I think if you're a professional in this space, if you're a professional, if you're a therapist or a judge or a lawyer or, or, or a counselor, I believe that self care is the foundation of an ethical practice because. Yeah. If you're not taking care of yourself, 
you really are, you can't be taking care of others. And it's like, you got to learn how to swim before you get to be the lifeguard. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you, we don't put lifeguards up there to t- take care of people unless they know how to swim. And, and really until you're, you're, you know, if you're a professional, I just want to encourage you really to, you know, take a fresh eyes and look at, um, you know, how are you doing? And, and I don't want to discount, you know, there's people that have medical problems and yes. there's a lot of times you can have medication and certain things that help kickstart. Right. Um, you know, if somebody has depression, anxiety, bad sleep, but to me, those are really usually just short term solutions that kind of help prompt lifestyle changes. Um, you know, and we've got to get better at, you know, learning. I've just learned so much about like how to actually get good sleep. I mean, there's so much research and science that come out how important it is and what we're doing to, what we're doing to distract ourselves from good sleep. And, and, uh, so each one of those little things are, it sounds simple enough, you know, uh, sleep, exercise, nutrition, meditation, and relationships, but you could probably write a book on each one of those five things. Uh, <laughs> True but, story. Uh, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. What Also on this point, to maybe close it out a little bit, and you can riff back if you like, but you know, start where you're at. So if you're listening and like, I don't know what to do, I'm so overwhelmed, start where you're at. Start with any one of those five things that Judge Stoner's talking about, and just, hey, just, just make it up. You know, Find some resources, reach out to me, you're welcome to do that. My contact information is in the show notes. But lots of resources online. If, if you're like, I need to learn how to get better sleep, there's tons of resources online to learn how to do that. Yeah. So just start where you're at and make a little bit of progress and don't strive for perfection. It's not all or nothing, and it's not all at once. Yeah, It's a little bit of progress, and, and then eventually you're going to begin to feel and notice the effects. And that's what I tell folks. you got to wait for the miracle to happen, but you also have to build that system into your yeah. life to make it a part of well, a, a habit. I'd like to rewind back. I want to go back about a decade. Uh, I was not doing well. I, I, was in a, I was in a legal practice, and I really wasn't taking care of myself um, in that way, and I wasn't feeling good. And I had, you know, unfortunately, one of the dads in our, in, in our neighborhood ended up developing cancer and passed away. And you know, he had kids at the same age as my kids. And it was one of those things where I knew I wasn't where I wanted to be. I didn't feel good on a daily basis. I wasn't doing these things that we were talking about. And I wasn't really that intentional about them. And I came up with my own little system of trying to figure out, you know, where do I start? And I, I, I kept a really simple, I made little boxes. I made these little boxes of this is what I want to do every day. And so if I if I if I had an exercise, I could check the box. If I had a nutritious meal, I checked the box. Um, and my job at the end of the day, I could have a crappy day, but if I check the boxes, I won. That's why I look at it, man. Hey, at the end of the day, if I got these boxes checked, anything can happen, man. But I've got the basics covered. I just knew over time that if I if I got my meditation practice in, if I got a workout in. Um, everything else over time, it would kind of start building on each other. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and there is this um, sort of magic that happens uh, whenever you just kind of get committed to, you know, the doing the right things every day, whether you feel like it or not. Cause you, a lot of times you don't feel like it, you know, that's a funny thing about working out, by the way, like how many times is you thought about like, ah, I don't really feel like it. I don't really feel like going. Many but times. Then, yeah. But then after you work out, like every time you're like, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Like a hundred times out of a hundred, I'm like, 
I'm glad I did that. Yeah. But still, I still <laughs> going. Oh, I don't really want to go. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I know. <laughs> I haven't like, figured that. I'm glad you said that because yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll get up and I'm like, well, guess what? It doesn't matter how you feel. You know, I have this internal dialogue that I that I run through. But uh, and, yeah. and at the end of it, zero times, zero times have I had any regrets. Now yeah. I may have pulled something or you know, exercised incorrectly or lifted too much weight and thought, "Ow, that hurt." But I'm not sorry that I did it. You know, I've never had yeah. a regret that, that I've worked out. Hey, would you? Well, I know I don't know if you have any show notes that you put on yeah, here. Yeah, sure. But I'll there, drop there was yeah. a um, one of the at the time there was a TED talk by a Harvard psychologist that I watched over and over, and it was something to the effect of the things that you think will make you happy really won't. And it was this idea that um, there's a lot of things that we think about, if I just get to this, if I just get that, if I get this achievement, uh, I'll be happy then. Mm -hmm. And the science doesn't bear that out. It's actually, it's actually when you realize that your brain is really good at playing tricks on you mm -hmm. and projecting things that you think are gonna make you happy that are really not the things that make you happy. Um, and I think there's a difference between this is where I might get a little bit nerdy, um, is the difference between serotonin and dopamine. If you, I don't know if you ever get yeah. into that, but, yeah. but those are, those are our neurotransmitters mm -hmm. that, um, that we associate with different states of, of, um, we'll say pleasure or well-being. And so, uh, a lot of times people get confused and, and they confabulate. It's hard to tell the difference between some people call it happiness, which is having a sense of well-being, and then pleasure, which is like fun. And so they seem kind of related. And when you're not feeling great, you want to feel different. And so a lot of time people go for dopamine, which dopamine is that short-term external stimulation. It's whenever you have, uh, it's your, it's, you know, what happens whenever you get the feel good, uh, whenever you have food that you like, uh, whenever you have sex, you have drugs, that's dopamine is, is what's hitting you. Uh, when you have a sense of gratitude, a sense of well-being, a sense of love and connection, that's serotonin. Yes. And they kind of can feel similar sometimes. I'm happy. I feel good. I, you want to feel good. Well, there's different ways of feeling good. There's good as in the pleasure good, and there's good as in the happy good. Happy being having a sense of contentment and well-being, yes. satisfied. Right. Not craving something. And that <laughs> yes. comes from relationships and, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and then you have the, I, I don't feel good, so I want to make myself feel better, which maybe you go have that short-term pleasure and maybe engaging in things that aren't always as helpful. But you, you can have short-term pleasure by having, I mean, I don't know, just like going to the amusement park or, uh, you know, seeing a, maybe a movie you might enjoy. I don't know. Those might be dopamine. I'm not sure. But um, so it's not to say dopamine is always bad. It's just but you need to be aware that these, um, you can get, do, dopamine doesn't last. It's just very short-term. It's just short-term pleasure, and then you want another hit. Then you want another hit. You want a little bit more of it. Um, and so you can get caught on what they call the hedonic treadmill. Have you heard that term oh, before? Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> So you're always seeking that next experience. I want the next right. experience, the next pleasure. Because that's how our brain works. Yeah, and that's, so dopamine is your neurotransmitter. It's often associated with addiction. You know, yes. It's, it's, um, I want to get, have, feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And opiates and uh, methamphetamine and some other drugs are way high on how much uh, dopamine they cause our brain to, yeah. to produce. And uh, it's, it's very convincing to our brain. So one way that addiction is sometimes described is as a brain disease or as a brain illness. I heard that yeah. described a lot in recent years. And, and that's where that comes from, that really it's the, it's the brain where all this is happening. It's shooting massive amount of, of uh, pleasurable chemicals into right. our brain. Yeah. And our brain says, 
I really like that. I'd like to do that again. <laughs> because that's human nature. That's actually biological nature. That's, that's how we're wired. It's, it's, it's uh, very closely well, tied into survival. It is. But, you know, yes. the, there's also a law that says what goes up must go down. Correct. Uh, yeah. So it's, well it's, it's always short term. And, it, and, and you know, the more you have, the more you want. And right. so you know, your brain, the more dopamine you have, your brain starts down regulating. And so it takes more and more and more to get the same effect. The same and then effect. whenever you don't have it, you feel lower and so yes you know, that's one thing about addiction that people don't always understand like when you you know if someone's been active addiction and they stop and um you think well you must feel pretty good you stopped like well no really in the beginning you're just you're miserable yes. and you have to realize it's just you know that uh, it, it's inherently enjoyable for me to sit on my back porch and drink a cup of coffee and watch my dog play around and people that are in recovery new to recovery they are they can't enjoy things like that they're irritable mm -hmm. they don't they're because they, the dopamine is it, they just crushed their dopamine reception it just takes time but i encourage anybody that, that's in recovery or contemplating that they you know just be patient and your dopamine will it'll come back you know it'll it, 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 you'll get back there you'll you, you're not always like this forever so yeah yeah well, Judge Stoner, in our closing uh, few minutes, I just wanted to open it up for you and, and uh, offer you a, a question, an opportunity to look into the future. And what is it that gives you hope about about the future and about the work that, that you do on a daily basis? Well, uh, man, great question. So, um, you, know, you know, hope in and of itself is such a is, is something we're learning is. Uh, actually part of the you know the science recovery just having confidence in the future yeah and if you can have some confidence in the future it kind of pulls you into the future yes uh and so I, I would say that i think the the uh i think our community is beginning to really uh understand and because they've seen a good examples of it that your past does not have to equal your future change isn't just possible it is probable and predictable if you'll follow a certain path. There are certain things you can do, and just like if you wanted to go to the gym and if you, if you do 100 reps, you're gonna get a, a certain result. If you do 100 reps of a bicep curl, you're gonna make a change in your bicep. If you'll come in and follow a path of recovery, you know, get into certain practices uh, and commit to them, you're gonna come out on the other side of it a, a different, you're gonna make a change. And so um, I believe that our, what, what makes me have some confidence in the future is that we're beginning to really understand there's better ways of dealing with addiction than just incarcerating people. Um, and while that may have a little bit of its place in some case, like you said, that was part of what gave you a spark of motivation to make a change, it's this long-term mass incarceration that is not, uh, it's, just, it's just not effective. Um, you know, for, for people that are coming in our criminal justice system, that they have a substance use disorder, um, if we can connect with them, if they, if, if they are really wanting to make a change, uh, we can give them the tools and the process to do so. Um, it is a process. I mean, it takes a little while, like I said, to kind of get the traffic moving in the right direction. Uh, like our program, for example, is 18 to 24 months. And it's that long because when you think about somebody that might have been wrapped up in addiction for 5, 10, 20 years, it, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little bit of time, uh, you know, making corrections, relearning. But we're also learning that the brain is, uh, there's so much great science that's coming out around uh, understanding the, the brain, the structures, how we work, and what really changes and what we're learning is the brain's amazingly neuroplastic, meaning that the brain can reform itself and it can change and it's very 
moldable and reshapable. And, um, and so I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about um, the, um, we're learning so much about addiction. I kind of think about addiction in the way that, I don't know, um, let's say if there was a different disease like, uh, you know, cancer, you know, where, where was cancer 50, 70 years ago? Uh, what do we understand about it? And, you know, what advances have we made in cancer treatment in the last 70 years? It's been enormously transformational. I mean, certain cancers that would take your life uh, just a few decades ago now are treatable and manageable. And I think we're in the process when it comes to understanding addiction, getting a better understanding of how to intersect with that and, and connect with people with a, a substance use disorder, give them support and encouragement and tools to change, and they do. And they do, and it works. And and um, our participants, the vast majority of them, go on to be happy, healthy, productive, contributing members of our community. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm, I'm really excited about being able to work with an amazing team here in Oklahoma County. We've got an incredible team of people um, that I get to work with on a daily basis that you know, we're all committed to. Um, the, the, the transformation and learning as much as we can and staying up with, uh, you know, what's the latest innovations in, in addiction treatment, behavior change, and things like that. Yeah, well, that's a wonderful word. And so many of the uh, snippets of our conversation today are, are threads that I hope to pick back up with uh, <laughs> with you uh, in a future so, date. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely want to stay in touch with you. So, Judge Kenneth Stoner, thank you so much for your time and for being a guest on my show. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the work you're doing, Charles. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.